Well, you see how smoothly we did that? You wondered why the screens went off, why you were supposed to sing with us and you didn't have the words? And we're having to reboot, so uh, we're talking, taking a special offering starting after church today to buy new equipment so that you can see what's going on. I have these beautiful slides that I want to share with you, but uh, we'll see when they come up. It's probably, it must have been a real uh, miracle of God that uh, we put the whole Scripture passage on the front of your bulletin. So if you have this this morning, this is kind of important to what we're doing, so I hope you'll pull this up, and uh, I'll tell you why in just a moment. We are in Psalm 136 today, and uh, so you've got the bulletin or you've got your Bible, that works too. Psalm 136. The point of our message this morning, of this study, this taking a look at God's Word this morning, the point is God is good and He is always faithful. God is good and He is always faithful. That song was the inter- that we just did was the introduction to the message this morning. He is good and solid and He is faithful forever, forever and ever. Amen. You know, for centuries, for centuries, the chief worship vehicle for both the Old and New Testament churches were the book, was the book of Psalms. It's only in the past several hundred years that the Psalms have had an addition with hymns and songs and spiritual songs of all kinds. So you and I have only been involved in a new shape and form of music for a few centuries. But originally, it all came from the Psalms. And if, you're, uh, if you take a look, starting with, ver- with uh, Psalm 135, all the way through Psalm 150, this is the songbook of the Bible. For the most part, this set of Scripture is all about praise and worship until the very end of that book. So as worshipers have done for centuries, we're going to read responsibly as we move through this message because If you notice on your bulletin this morning, every stanza or verse of this 136 has a response. And so throughout the message this morning, we're going to do some sections of this, and I'm going to ask you to respond. So reading responsibly, let's do the first three verses together. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Okay, you're going to have to read a little better than that, because how much more gratifying is it than to say, His love endures forever? Say that with me. His love endures forever. Man, that's so much better. Stanza number two, give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. And give thanks to the Lord of lords. So our first point this morning is give thanks to the Lord. The psalm just before this one, Psalm 135, begins and ends with a call to praise the Lord. Interesting thing that I've learned recently, in Hebrew, the words hallelujah and yah are two different words, but we've contracted them into English for the word hallelujah. So for those of you that are traditional Baptists, The Pentecostals used that word a lot before we would ever finally say it in church, right? But this morning, it's good to hear you say, and it's good for us to say, hallelujah. 
In the Jewish tradition, Psalm 136 has been called the great Hallel, or the great psalm of praise. It does not use the words hallelujah, but it is called the great Hallel for the way it speaks of God's goodness in regard to his people and encourages them and us to praise him for his merciful and steadfast love. In Psalm 136, the words that take the place of hallelujah are translated give thanks to the Lord. This phrase occurs at the start of the first three verses, and then it's at the beginning of verse 26 at the end of this particular psalm. This would seem to indicate why God's people should thank God. This should also be a reminder to us as to why thanksgiving should be a regular part of our worship. If God is good, and He is, and if we praise Him for being as He is, which is what worship is all about, then we must thank Him. If we don't thank Him, the premise here is that we're not actually worshiping God. So the question for us is, in our worshiping God, are we consistently and joyfully thanking God for His many great acts toward us? Give thanks to the Lord. Second point, why thank God? Why thank God? The first verse of Psalm 136 sets the tone for everything that follows. It gives an answer to the question, why should we thank God? We don't praise Him just because He exists, everybody. That's not enough. The answer is we praise Him because He is good. He has revealed Himself to us as worthy of our worship. He's shown us an example. We thank Him for His many acts toward us and to all people. He is the God who commits Himself unconditionally. Remember, He loves you and me unconditionally. You and I are to love our children unconditionally, as our parents loved us unconditionally. So He is the God who commits Himself unconditionally to us, His people, and He never abandons that commitment. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We change. The world changes. God endures forever. And His love to us never fails. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, the Word says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. The names or the titles for God in Psalm 136 are from that verse. The Lord, or Jehovah, God of gods, Lord of lords. This is the only true God, and He is mighty. As the following verses that deal with His power and creation point us to, that we're going to get to in just a moment. He is also good, and that means His acts are good, and they're for our benefit. God is good, and He cares about you. And in this refrain, which we just sang, which is here, His love endures forever. That's the response we should give to each of the 26 statements about God in this psalm. His love endures forever. Now, how, how good is God? Well, He's wonderfully good. The great British preacher and pastor from a previous century named Charles Spurgeon, when he was writing about God's goodness, he said this, He is good beyond all others. 
Indeed, he alone is good in the highest sense. He is the source of good, the good of good, the sustainer of good, the perfecter of good, and the rewarder of good. For this, he deserves the constant gratitude of his people. He's good. And now I'll ask you to read with me responsibly verses 4 through 9, the next section there. And we're going to read with enthusiasm, aren't we? To him who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and the stars to govern the night. Here we see the goodness of God in creation. The first evidence of God's goodness is seen in his creation. It's the first thing the psalmist mentions in verses 4 through 9 here. God has been good to us by making us a world to live in and placing us in this amazing world, and he allows us to enjoy this creation. In creation, God shows us his power, his order, and his sovereign plan for the world. It's not just a pretty picture for us. It's a reminder of who he is, and he shows us his greatness. Now, those of us who believe in God as creator, which I hope is all of us in this room this morning, and still have a sense of wonder, and some of us, have lo- we lose some of that sense of wonder, don't we, as we get older. But if we, have, if we have that understanding, when we look at the Grand Canyon, or when we look at the mountains of Colorado, or when we see the Atlantic or Pacific Oceans, or when we look in a night sky, unhindered by by a lot of light, when we can really see the night sky, or when we see a sunset, we find ourselves asking this question. How could anyone not believe that God did all of this? How could we not believe there's a creator God? How can we believe this just showed up in an accident? But there is a big difference between the biblical approach to creation and the approach we see the world take. Today, we teach evolution as a fact to the largest portion of the population. And God doesn't have a place in this teaching because the world does not acknowledge God as the creator of the universe. It usually does one of two things. Either it bows down to creation itself and worships it, by making idols and worshiping some force of nature. And by the way, everybody, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but there is no mother nature. She's not sitting on a chair somewhere. Now, there is nature, but there's no mother nature. There's God. So, we either worship what we see around us, worship a tree or a rock, Or the other side of that in a non-believing world is we treat it as something to be exploited for personal benefit. The psalmist reminds us of God's creative world during the first six days. We are invited to look at the world as God looks at it, a jewel, something amazing. It's just sitting there at a tilt in the middle of space, And we don't just fly off into the great unknown. 
How awesome is that? Why isn't it sitting straight up? Why do we turn? Why do we need the sun? Why do we sleep? Why is it dark? What are the northern lights about? I mean, just on and on we can go about the wonders of the world that God created for us. In Genesis, God said that all this stuff we see, everything we look around, he made, and it is good. So God is good, and everything he makes is good. By the way, that includes you and me. Because God was involved in our coming to be, wasn't he? What should we do with this creation that we enjoy? Well, we should be thankful for it. In the Christian life, we understand that God made everything, therefore it is, has value, which should be valued. It should have value to us because God created it. So we should be thankful for it. We should delight in it. Delight is being thankful and at least one more step above that. And sometimes we Christians don't always take that extra step. We're ready to see nature as a proof that God exists uh, because classical thought up until just before some of us were born, classical thought was always there must be a God because nothing but God can, ath- can account for the universe we see. Only he can do this. And while that is true, believers, that's you and me, we need to go beyond just believing and seeing creation as a proof and really enjoy what we see because God has been good in what he created in us. We should be able to delight in creation even more than non-Christians. And yes, even those that worship nature. We should be more excited about what we see around us than a non-believer because we know the God who stands behind everything. So we should treat it responsibly. We should treat it responsibly. Respecting creation doesn't mean it can't be used in a correct way. It's okay to cut down a tree to build a home. That's one side of the issue. The other side is just because we have dynamite left over after a project doesn't mean we should try to take a mountain down just because we can. So somewhere between need and just, okay, is is where we need to fall. We are supposed to use the creation around us because he provided it for us. So that means we must respect and protect the resources that God has given us to use. For those of you that think I'm in some kind of tree hugger mode, though, let's go ahead with the next set of verses. Verses 10 through 24. Again with enthusiasm, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel, 
He remembered us in our low estate. And freed us from our enemies. So here we see the goodness of God in salvation. This section of 136, verses 10 through 24, thanks God for his specific good acts towards, toward Israel throughout their history and his deliverance of his people from the bondage in, his, in Egypt. In verses 10 through 15, which included the death of every firstborn child in Egypt, included dividing the Red Sea, included allowing Israel to move across to safety, and then destroying the most powerful military force on the planet. In verse 17, his leading them through the desert to the borders of the promised land. And in 18 through 20, his defeat of Israel's enemies, which included the Amorite king Sion and Bashan, king of Og. Now, there's a couple of names you'll want to use on your grandchildren, right? I haven't met any Ogs. Maybe there's a Sion out there somewhere, but... Um, they defeated those guys. And then in verses 21 through 24, he settled his people in the promised land. He fulfilled everything that he promised them. For us, we give thanks to God for delivering us from the bondage of sin because of the work of Jesus Christ. Maybe we haven't walked through the Red Sea. Maybe we haven't seen him take out an army for us. But we've seen him give his best through the Son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice that allows us to face eternity with him forever and ever. The basic core of Christian teaching is the gospel. It needs to be the heart of our worship as well. The very essence of the gospel as its focus on what God has done for his people it's much more than what we experience. Of course, what God did affects us, and we acknowledge that work, and we give him thanks for it. But the gospel, the center of our worship, is not about what happened to us. The gospel is first about what God has done and accomplished by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago when Jesus died for our sin and then rose from the dead so we could be cleansed. It's about the Father placing the burden of our sin. Now think about that. My sin, your sin, place that on Jesus, on his shoulders. And he did that so his son could carry it, and we no longer would have to carry it. Our worship must be God-centered rather than man-centered if it's to be worship that pleases God. The Christian writer C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Case for Christianity, said, It is in the process of being worshiped that God communicates his presence to men. It's in worship that he communicates his presence to us. That's how we hear from him. And while there is no particular worship order there's, that's more biblical than another, there are some things that need to be a part of our worship. We need to have prayer. We need to have the reading of the word, the exposition of the word. We need to have confession of sin. And we need to have praise. We need to do psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That should be a part of our worship. One of the core values for our church is worship. And you can find those core values on the back of your bulletin. 
because we think those things are what the Bible calls us to and how we should function as a church. Because here's the deal, friend. If you don't worship, and you can see the core values and the things I just mentioned, if, we don't, if you don't worship, you are not going to pray. If you don't worship, you're not going to study or read God's Word. If you don't worship, you'll not confess sin. If you, do, if you don't worship, you will not sing His praise because none of these things are important if we don't encounter Him, the living God, and His salvation. So for these things to be important, we need to worship. Because it's all about Him. It's not about us. It's all about Him. Some years ago, I served in a church where we had some tension about worship. And people were taking sides about how we should do this and how we should do that. And I had used this phrase in a church before I came there. See, I'm being very careful not to say where. Uh, and I had said, it's not about us, it's about him. And the church I first said that in, they said, absolutely. They agreed as a group. They understood what I was trying to communicate. But when I said it in this congregation where emotions were flying and where people were picking sides about how this should be done and who should say this and where you can do this and who has the authority here and all this stuff, I had a deacon come to me and he looked at me straight in the eye and said, you know what you said about it's not about us, it is a, it's about him, meaning God. I said, yeah. He said, well, you're wrong. It is about us. And he went on to tell me why worship was about him. We have to make God the center of our worship. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. It's not about the order we do things in. It's not about what the elements are in our worship as much as it is about making sure he is the focus of all of it. And even when we stumble and don't do very well, and even when the technical stuff jumps and you can't see the words, or somebody picks a song you don't like, or why did the preacher preach on this verse today when I needed him to preach on this verse, or somebody maybe didn't speak to you and as long as you thought they should, or on and on we can go. Sometimes we just get in the way, don't we? We think somehow worship is about what we need but first for the God that loves me to answer my needs I need to give him all praise and glory I need to lift him up in the things I do and then he in turn will meet the needs we can know him in a corporate place like this as well as out there in the world, in our daily lives. So, in these verses we also see the goodness of God to everyone. One striking feature of Psalm 136 is the way it comes back to where it began. It began with a call to thank God, and it ends the same way. In verse 25, it moves back to the benevolence of God to all people, not just Israel. See, and, and that's part of Israel's problem 
that we see in Scripture is they thought that they're the only people that mattered to God. They were to be a light on this planet. They were, be a, uh, were to be a light to the nations. And they thought it was about holding God's light just on them. And so they were unable to look out. And so every time God tried to do something and get their attention and try to teach them something, they just became more inter, inter, internalized. And they forgot they were to be the example for the world. All people were to benefit from God, from God's creation, from God's blessings. It's not for me to hold on to. It's not about me. It's about him. Because the next verse says he gives food to every creature. So when we read verse 25 responsibly, I'll say he gives food to every creature. Jesus spoke about the goodness of God. When he told his Jewish listeners in Matthew 5, verse 45, he said, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends the rain, and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And then in Acts 14, 17, Paul taught the Gentiles at Lystra when he said, He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. In each situation, the goodness of God is given as the reason why those who benefited from it should repent of sin and seek God. He didn't hold back anything. He said, you can have rain and you can have rain and you can have rain. You can grow crops, and you can grow crops, and you can grow crops. He's given us a reason to seek him. But people don't do that. Here's what Paul said in Romans 1, 21. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. That's what people do. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. And we need to be careful in our lives that we're not doing that. Because why? Because his love endures forever. Verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven. And that's the most striking thing about this. Some of you thought when you started this this morning that, Bill, did you write all those things in there? I never saw that before. It's funny what we can miss in Scripture. His love endures forever. It's written to be said after each one of those statements. Because it's, it's the most striking thing about this psalm. It's the most unique thing about this psalm in all of Scripture. Because you don't have anyone that's, held, that's done the same way. It's the believer's worshiping response to the acts and the person of God. 26 statements and 26 responses. Doesn't happen anywhere else in the Bible. And the word love that we've been saying, his love endures forever, is a Hebrew term that means covenant love or the favor God shows to whom he has entered into a covenant, steadfast and enduring love. Just saying that word in this psalm is a reminder to you and me of this arrangement, this promise, this connection, this covenant that God has with us that he is going to be steady on that it's a love you can count on. And it's enduring, we know, because God 
keeps his word. He's always good. He doesn't break his covenant. He loves you. So the question as we come to the end this morning is, why do you hold back? Why do I hold back? Why do I hang on to those things I'm not willing to let go of, to give back to him? Why would I hold back from service to him? Why would I not worship him? Why would I not be available for whatever God has for me? Why do I look on my little world as belonging to me when nothing belongs to me? Nothing I have belongs to me. It's all made possible because of the God who loves me. So this morning, by looking at this passage, we're reminded of how much he loves us about all that he's given us, about we should take nothing for granted. Looking at the night sky should never get old. Just like every time we mention Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection should never get old. It should never be taken for granted. It should never be something that we get kind of bored with. Because the God of heaven made a road for me and he made a road away for you so what are you doing on your path how are you serving him some of you haven't begun that yet because perhaps you've never accepted him as his savior and lord as your savior and lord but perhaps you've grown kind of weary in well-doing you know i've had a long life bill I've done a lot of great things for God. I'm just tired. It's time to pass it on. You've heard, them, you've heard it said from this pulpit and others, there is really no retirement from God. There's now, and then there's eternity. And right now is our getting ready for eternity. God still has something for you to do, whether you're very young or in the middle are you seeing kind of the winter years of your life? There's still something that God has for you to do. It'd be great to have handwriting on the wall, but usually doesn't happen that way. What usually happens is we get in a room like this and we offer ourselves a little bit and then we get caught up in worshiping God and our hearts get big and open and we're ready to give him it all and then he speaks to us. Then he speaks to us. Quick story. Wasn't planning on this, but quick story. I had a youth group that we took to Centrifuge place called Gloria, New Mexico, which is a big conference center in New Mexico that Baptists uh, had built and supported for a number of years. And at the end of this conference, uh, it was Foreign Missions Week, I had found myself asking some questions and unsure about God's next move for my life and for my family. And Keith Parks, who was the 
head of the of our at that time foreign mission board. That's called the International, and, and you know they changed the name a few years ago. But he was the he was the director, he was the executive, and he had not interrupted a single invitation chorus all week long. He would preach, we would sing, people would respond or they didn't, and then we would close the service out. And so I'd been grappling with that, and at the end of this service, he offered an invitation, and it was wherever he leads, I'll go. And so I'm singing, and he stops. Remember, he hadn't done this all week. He would talk a little bit, try to encourage, you know how preachers do, poke, prod, give you a shot. Then we'd sing the next verse. So we sang three verses. He offered the invitation each time. And then just before the fourth verse, the fourth stanza, he said, well, now, let me back up. I don't want to leave this part out. Just before we ended that stanza, I was praying, and I said, God, I just don't know. True story. In my mind, I'm thinking, God, I just don't know. And what he said when he stopped them was, he said, you know, you may be standing here tonight, and you may be saying, God, I just don't know. Now, handwriting wasn't on the wall, but I think that's pretty plain. So we started to sing, and I responded and made some decisions based on that. Maybe in your worship, you find yourself saying, God, I just don't know. And maybe all you need to do is let go of that and let him have it. But it's in our worship that he communicates with us. It's not the sound of my voice. It's how we've approached him this morning. So we're going to do what we do each week. I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you have a decision you need to make this morning, I would love to pray with you about that. If you would like to know how to be in the center of his will and be a child of God and say yes to Jesus, I'd love to help you with that. Maybe you need to pray. Maybe you just need to worship where you are. But I pray for you that as you leave in just a moment, that whatever question you had this morning coming in would be answered in just a few moments or in these moments. And when you go from here, you'll know how God wants you to proceed with your life, with your day, with your living. Because he meets us in worship. And so we're going to sing, and just after I pray, we're going to sing, shout to the Lord again. And that may be all that you need to do is participate in that. But if you have other decisions to make this morning, I would encourage you to do that invite you to come down. Father, we, you're chosen because you've chosen all of us. You're forgiven. You're taken care of. You're comforted. Believers in this room praise you for who you are. We know you love us. Sometimes we forget that. We know you have a plan for our lives and sometimes we're so busy with our decisions and our plans that we miss yours. 
I pray that we'd take the next few moments and we just hear you. As we open our lives and our minds, I pray your Holy Spirit would continue to gather with us in a way that speaks, in a powerful way. And whatever happens, we give you the honor and the praise for that this morning. In Jesus' precious name. Let's sing. If you need to come, please do that.